Uh, today's reading is from Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. You can follow along in your Bible. I don't know what page it's on. If you please stand, if you can, to honor the word of the Lord. And you were dead in the trespasses of sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loves us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not by your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate that. Well, if you've been tracking with us the last few weeks, we've begun to look at this little letter by the Apostle Paul to a church in Ephesus called, that we call the letter to the Ephesians. And I love this little letter because it gives us the big picture of what is going on in the world, what really matters. And if you listen to the news or watch, you know, think of popular culture, we get so excited about things which ultimately don't matter. I mean, like, like there's a game. Is there a game today? I'm just joking. It's all fun to enjoy the Super Bowl. It's, enjoy, it's fun to get together. And if you're like a lot of people, you're not as interested in the Super Bowl as you are in what? Yes, the commercials. Um, and uh, it's fun to do that. Great, but, it, but, but sometimes things that are of great of value, of some importance, can assume a place of ultimate importance in our lives. And, of course, some of you will know that one of the teams that's in the Super Bowl should not be there. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I, as I watched all of that happen, I, and, and I knew, knowing about the uproar that would and has occurred since then, even though I, you know, I understood, I, I played football in high school and all of that, and I, I, I understand, you know, the importance of the, it kind of struck me that, oh my goodness, this matters way too much culturally. It matters way too much Economically, I mean, millions of dollars were lost and won by one missed pass interference call, or so I've heard, right? Uh, uh, and, and, and even though these things have an important place in our lives, and they ought to, there's nothing wrong with recreation and fun. There's nothing wrong with paying people who can do and who can entertain us athletically. There's nothing wrong with all of this. Nothing wrong with, with watching television and enjoying entertainment. Nothing wrong with getting together with friends. Nothing wrong with playing football. Uh, it might not be very good for your health, but there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but 
but sometimes the, we, we have to ascribe ultimate meaning somewhere to something. Human beings have to do that. We cannot help it. Something will take the ultimate place in our lives. We cannot not worship. We, all, we cannot not worship. We will say, this matters most to me. And if we don't get the right thing at the top, something else will come and take its place. And sometimes it's something like football or the economy, which resides so much on how much, you know, you can sell because of football, right? And many people are personally affected by that. And we can get, uh, uh, that's just one example current for us today. And please, I'm not bashing, I'm not bashing football. I like football. I like baseball better, a lot better. But uh, I do like and enjoyed playing football um, in high school. And yes, I got injured too. Do you remember that, Mom? My mom's here, yeah. We were playing uh, Borgate High School when I was in, when I was in high school. Um, and that's about four hours away from where I grew up in Lake Havasu. And I was returning a punt. And it was going to be my first punt that I was going to be returning for a touchdown. I could see that if I could just get around this one guy, I had a straight line all the way to the goal line as a junior. And the only thing I did on the varsity that year was return punts and kickoffs. That's basically all that I did because I was fast. So I'm getting around this guy. And sure enough, no one touches me. And I just fall splat on the ground. I tore a muscle of my, uh, in my hip and uh, ended up, I think, standing night either in the hospital or at Grandma's house or at Grandma's house, yeah. Um, and I had just been going with Donna, I think, uh, how long, Donna? Six months or so, three, four months, and she wasn't there. And, you know, anyway, long story, enough of that. Um, I got hurt doing football. I like football, but it should never become the ultimate thing in our life. What is ultimately of him? Well, you know where I'm going with this because if you cannot not worship, you must decide what it is that will have ultimate place in your life. And when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes an idol and destroys you. Even good things can be bad for you. If your family is the most important thing in the world to you and it becomes the ultimate thing to you, it will destroy you because you can't control everything about your family. You can't. What is God doing on the grand and global scale in this universe, and how can we be a part of it? Ephesians tells us that, and we've been learning about that as we kind of move into this second chapter. I thought it'd be good for us to just sort of take a look at where we are before we dive right into this section. We see that ultimately we have God has a, God has a plan for the universe, and that God invites us to be a part of that plan. And even though we are very small and seemingly inconsequential as individual persons or as members of this little community that meets you. Remember when Barbara said that Greg reported that Barbara said the church she's going to is not much like the church at the chip. I thought there's not much like the church at the chip, is there, right? Even though we're a small part of the whole big plan, we have something important that we're a part of. That's what's God's big idea for the universe. God is someday going to reunite all of creation under King Jesus' rule. That's what's being said in this first chapter, verses, verse 10. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose and plan, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, the completion of time, to unite all things uh, 
it things in uh, to unite all things in him things in heaven and on earth god will somehow someday right every wrong dry every tear make everything make sense under the lordship of jesus christ and that he will jesus has will accomplish that and that's where the universe is going empires will rise and empires will fall people will win super bowls and lose super bowls but ultimately god is taking this human project this global universal project somewhere he has a big idea for the universe he's going to bring together that which was broken by human rebellion when adam and eve decided they could run this world better without god and ultimately they created a mess out of the beautiful world that god has created as you know creation is a beautiful part of god's plan it's been broken by human rebellion but it has been rescued by god's grace that's what's going on in the universe so god has a big idea for the universe and he has believe it or not established the church as the body of christ in the world that's what it says in verses 22 and 23 he has raised jesus up verse 21 far above all authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named and not only in this age but in the age to come now think about this the apostle paul is writing this letter in jail <laughs> he's writing under the under the thumb of the roman government at the moment he's writing to a small gathering of people probably much less than are in this room right now in the town of ephesus and this was probably a circular letter that went to other communities around and while he's in that place he says look what god has done god has raised jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and given him a name that is a uh, given a name uh, 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 and above every name that has been named not only in this age but in the one to come jesus is king over the earth they would say caesar was king Paul knew that Jesus was king. In fact, that's kind of why he was in jail in the first place for saying that. But he had a vision for what God was doing. Well, let me ask you this. Is Rome still the leader of the free world? No, in fact, within a couple hundred years, it really had lost that. But you would never have guessed that in the year 55 when Paul was writing this, or 60 when he was writing this. Paul had a vision for what God was doing. And then he goes on to say, and he put all he that is god put all things under jesus feet and gave him as head over all things to the church that's ecclesia church at the chip that song ecclesia that's ecclesia which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in on so god's plan for the universe involves uniting all of creation under the lord jesus christ's rule and that, and ultimately then, and in the meantime, establishing the church as his body in this world, through whom he exercises his grace and his love and his mercy and his welcoming power. It's a grand vision that God has for the universe. And having talked about the church, he now then goes on, secondly, to talk about God's plan, not just for the whole shoot match, if you will, but God's plan for, for humanity itself. And so as we move into the second chapter, 
We see that in the second and the part of the third chapter, God, Paul begins to talk about God's plan for humanity itself, not just for the whole of creation and all of the universe, but for humanity itself. And what God has done is God has created, as he already hinted in the verses I just read for you, that he has created his church as the means by which he will show his love to this whole world. And the church are the people who are what I would call the new humanity. You see, the Bible teaches us that we have, uh, we have, by virtue of our own rebellion against God, we have become, in some ways, subhuman, less than the true humanity. We were designed to be self-giving, but what are we instead? Self-serving, right? We are assigned to give love freely, my life to serve you. But that's not the natural bent of our lives, is it? It's like, what can you do for me? How can you help me? It happens in personal relationships. It happens in corporate relationships. It happens in governmental relationships. And, and there's, some, there's a sickness that's in all, the Bible calls it spiritual death. We become less than fully human. So what God has done by sending Jesus to become the final faithful Israelite who gave his life for the sake of his people and showed a new way to be human A new man, it says here. We become a new man, a new human, a new person. And he's doing that by calling individual persons to himself who share in the life of Christ. That's what conversion is all about. And become part of a church family. And so we will see as we look through this text, chapter 2 and part of chapter 3, as we take a few weeks to go through it, that God is creating a, a new humanity. And in verses 1 to 10, we see that God has called us to faith in Jesus Christ. And verses 11 through the rest of the chapter, that God has gathered us in love as his renewed humanity. And in chapters 3, 7 and following, God has sent us out as witnesses to the world. Some of you who are actually listening to me heard me say the words, called and gathered and sent, which is part of the original song that we sang at the beginning. We are called to faith, gathered in love, sent with hope to share God's love. We are ecclesia. Church at the chip comes directly out of these ideas. God has created, called a community from within the world, called them to faith in him, and gathered them across boundaries, gender boundaries, across economic boundaries, across ethnic boundaries, creating a whole new humanity, and gathered us in love. That's what chapter 2, verses 11 and following are all about. And then he has then now sent us out, verses 7 of chapter 3 and following, to the world. So we might say it this way, God's plan for humanity, we are called to faith or we are brought to life by the grace of God. And then secondly, we are united together as the family of God. And then thirdly, we are sent to the world on a mission for God, just like the movie said, right? I'm on a mission for God. None of you saw that, Blues Brothers. Okay. Well, one or two will admit it. Okay, thank you. It's what God has done. We've been Brought to life by the grace of God, chapter 2, 1 to 10. We've been gathered in love. We've been united together as a family of God, chapter 2, verses 11 and following. And we are sent, uh, we are sent to the world on a mission for God to show people a new way to be human. The self-giving kind of human. The self 
sacrificing kind of human, not the self-serving, self-absorbed kind of human, which is our natural bent. And that's what chapter 2 is starting to tell us about. And so let's take a few minutes to look at these first few verses because we've took it, looked at God's big plan for the, for the whole universe and God's big plan for the church itself, a new humanity. But what's God's big plan for you and for me, individual human beings. Let's talk about that for a moment. Notice what it said as Greg read it for you. He speaks to them and he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Verse four, but God being rich in his mercy because of his great love has made us alive together with Christ. Well, what does that all mean? Well, that means that first of all, the Bible wants each of us to know that he wants to make new creation out of each of us. The Bible says that humanity is born with a spiritual deadness. We have a condition, a heart condition, and it's always grabbing. It's always looking. It's always looking for its to, to validate itself. It's always an amazing thing. We have a grandson who's just about two years old, and, uh, you know, I don't know where he learned the word mine, but every kid seems to learn that. And they don't hear it from their parents. Parents don't say mine to their kid. But there's something within that child's heart and every child's heart that sees something that he wants or she wants and has to find a way to express that guttural feeling, which is, I want it. Don't take it. It's, and they come up with this word, mine, or something like that. Because there's something within our hearts that is a, a spiritual deadness, a spiritual uh, uh, desire to have everything be interpreted in terms of how it affects me. If you have it and I want it, I should be able to get it. It's mine. The Bible calls that spiritual deadness. We need to recognize, first of all, that we are in a very grave condition. It's hard for us to see that. That's not culturally appropriate to say, but that's the first thing we need to admit. We have a very grave condition. Humanity in general each one of us in particular. Some of you have received difficult diagnoses at one point or another, and the doctor had to say to you, I hate to tell you this, but this is the truth about your life. And as long as you were in denial and didn't accept it, you wouldn't do what needed to be done. But hopefully you came to your senses and you said, if that's the truth, what do I need to do? With regard to our spiritual selves, the Bible teaches us that we are born in a grave condition. We see it in our children, but we also can feel it in our hearts. Oh, we're quick to point out the sin in other people, the selfishness in other people. I had it happen to me just a few days ago when I was trying to get into the carpool lane, and there was a gap between, there was, I was two lanes away from the carpool lane. You'd think that after having finished traffic school, <clears throat> um, defensive driving, I would have known better than this, but... Uh, but there was plenty of room to get in, and I was just planning to go right across his lane and into the, 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 uh, the, you know, the HOV lane. So I wasn't going to slow him down, but he got really mad. He got really mad. He came up behind me, went around, he went there, and then, I, then he came up into my lane, and he actually, and you know what really made me mad? There was only one guy in that car, and it was a time when he wasn't supposed to be in there, right? And, and right at that moment, he decided to slow down, and he decided it was a good time to wash his windows. Now, I'm going to remember this. 
You know how I know I was, he was washing his windows, right? My whole car gets full of water, right? Because he's spraying his windshield right in front of me. Then he goes back into his lane. And I got mad at him because he was so selfish. But what was it? I had already done the same, hadn't I? I'd, that's a little story that your preacher should never have confessed to. <laughs> it indicates what, uh, what is so true. As Solzhenitsyn said in a famous lecture long ago, the lines between good and evil go directly across every human heart. Yeah. We have to recognize our grave condition that we are dead in sin, it says. We are dead in sin. To be dead in sin is to suggest that we are absolutely helpless, as helpless as a dead body. We cannot change ourselves. And that we are therefore enslaved, he says. You followed the ways of this world, the rule of this air, and the ways of the flesh. And here we see that he's talking about the fact that we are all enslaved to worldliness and to the devil himself and to the flesh. It says it right there in that text. We follow. We can't help it. We're, uh, uh, we're, we're, we're drawn to the worldly ways that are out there. We're drawn to the you know, devil's influence in our lives. And we're drawn to our, the fleshly desires. Now, keep in mind, this is not to say that our flesh is bad. Sometimes Christians have made that mistake. In fact, I think a lot of us who grew up in very conservative environments, as I did, kind of grew up feeling like any, anything that felt good was probably bad, right? And, but, that, but God gave us good feelings. The problem is not with our flesh, but when our, our flesh turns self-centered. You see, it's not our physical bodies which are bad, but our self-centered human nature. And he speaks here about both body and mind, not just our bodily selves. You see, our bodies and minds are not bad, but they are twisted by our selfishness. We become enslaved to uh, the ways of this world or the ways of the devil or the ways of, uh, of, of a self-centered fleshly appetite. If I want it, I should be able to get it, right? Because our, our hearts are profoundly self-centered. Our nature is curved in on itself, as Martin Luther would have said. We're self-centered. We're self-absorbed. We're self-justifying. Oh, it's so common. We, we need to recognize our grave condition. That's what verses 1 to 3 are talking about. Um, that, uh, and, and ultimately, this will re result in eternal separation from God. Yes. But there is, secondly, we have this big word, but, in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the grace with which he has loved us, the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God has made me alive by his grace. Yes, I have a grave situation, but I, have a, I understand God's gracious solution that the rescue which needs to happen is not me somehow figuring out how to make my way back to God by my own good deeds, my own religious behavior, by following the goal. No, that's all a, uh, it's all a futile effort. In fact, even the, the thinking that we can do it on our own is itself a sign of our sin. 
No, we have to recognize that God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. He has saved us. And notice that it says in verse 5, He made us alive with Christ. He raised us up with Him, and He seated us with Him. And it's amazing. He's saying those things, and that is exactly what He had said in the verse I read earlier about Jesus, that Jesus had been raised up excuse me, um, made alive and raised up and seated at the right hand of the Father. And what he's saying here is that what Jesus has done as the representation of all humanity, I now have the opportunity by faith to cling to, by trusting in him, I have his resurrection in my heart, his life in me, his authority in me, all authority has been given to him. And he says to me, you will share in all of that. Yes, he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he is saying, Paul is saying that those same things have happened to you and me. God has rescued us by his grace. And as Jesus, was re- as Jesus died under the weight of human sin, so he experienced our death. But he was raised up from death to new life. And as we trust in him, we can receive that new life, and God can do heart surgery in our hearts. It won't be fully complete until the last day, but it becomes like new life given within us to make us into the fully forgiven, deeply loved children of God, no longer objects of wrath, but objects of love that God has made us to become. We receive this, it says. How do we receive it? By faith. Notice what it says. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and it is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. We have the opportunity to respond in faith by admitting that we are spiritually dead and cannot do anything about it. And by believing that God has done for us what we could not do, that Jesus died our death to give us new life. By admitting that we need him by believing he gave us what we, and by then responding in faith to him and becoming new creation, becoming people who have the life of God planted within us. That is part of God's gracious solution so that we can, we have no reason to boast. It's simply by his grace. We become then, we have the mind of Christ to begin to, uh, to, cause us to think like Jesus would think and to do what Jesus would do and to love as Jesus would love and to forgive as Jesus would forgive. All of these, because we have received that from him, we become a new person. We have the spiritual light bulb turned on. We still fight as, of course, we do with that sinful nature, which basically says, I want, I want, I want what I want when I want it. Give it to me. But we have within us the Holy Spirit who helps us to put that aside and to, as he goes on to talk about in this very book, to put on the new clothes, the clothes of the new person, the renewed human being. Yes, we have, of course, God's original creation, which was beautiful but has been broken by human rebellion, but now has been recreated through Jesus' resurrection We respond in faith to that, and we become part of his new creation. That's why another of Paul's texts say, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. So, I want to invite you today to...
Respond in faith to the Jesus who gave his life for you. I want to invite you to be able to admit your grave condition. Stop making excuses. Stop pretending it's not true. Admit the spiritual deadness in your heart. Admit that that's the case for all of us. And to believe that God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And I think that's part of the difficulty. Many of us make the mistake of thinking that getting to heaven is all about what we do. Do I do enough to get God to overlook my bad deeds? Do I do the right kinds of things? Do I go to church? Do I live a good life? Do I try to follow my best conscience? Do I admit when I'm wrong? Do, what do I do that someday God's going to look at my do list and see what I do? But the Christian faith is, more, is much different than that. The Christian faith is not the word do, but rather the word done. That God has done for me what I could not do for myself. And I simply respond in faith to that. So that instead of presenting my resume to God on my final day, to see whether I can qualify for heaven, and hope God is gracious, I actually present Jesus' resume. Big difference. Jesus' resume. There are way too many people sitting in churches around this world today who are thinking that God's going to look at their resume. If God looks at your resume, not good, no matter how good we are. But if we simply are saying it's because of what Jesus has done, or as this hymn said, nothing in, I ha nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Yeah, that's the reality. Have you ever responded in faith to Jesus? Because the raising... The resurrection, the raising up, the seating is not what you, it's happening in Christ. That's why it says, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Let's pray while we close. Lord Jesus, thank you that you give to us a big picture of what you're doing in the world and that you invite us to be a part of it and that you have in fact come to live among us so that we could know that we have new life because of Jesus. Help us to simply come to you just as we are. And not to hold our list of good deeds as if you're looking at that, but rather simply trusting in Jesus Christ. For you have said in your word, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Help us to let go of our pride and come just as we are and receive forgiveness and life and hope and yes, a brand new heart. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.